You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 28. What I want to do is I just want to jump right into the text. I don't have it on the screen, but we actually have free Bibles in the back connection table. So if you don't own a Bible, please take one. They are our gift to you. We study through Scripture. We are reading it, studying it. Uh, We have a midweek YouTube live devotional where we are in the Word during community groups. We talk about the message. We're centering around our lives around Jesus and what He wants to do. And we've been in this series of God Redeems. Tonight we're going to talk about the holy garments of the priest in Exodus chapter 28. Uh, verses 1 through 5. So 1 through 5 is all we're going to take. Get a little recap and introduce this new topic, new subject of the priesthood, and then we'll jump into the specific details of the garment next week as well. And so uh, let's read real quick just verses 1 through 5, and then we'll pray and we'll study as we always do. Then being near to, uh, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him. This is God speaking to Moses from the people of Israel to serve as priests, Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu and Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priest. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. This is the text we're going to work through tonight as we introduce this subject of the holy garments. Let's pray and let's ask God to teach us. Jesus, we thank you so much how you are moving in our midst. Our gathering is about exalting you. The public praise and the proclamation of your word, Lord. Your character and your nature. We want to know more of you. We know that all scripture points to you, Jesus. You are a great high priest. And so we thank you, God, for um, how you're moving in our midst. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give revelation, that you would teach. Be the great teacher. Father, thank you for giving us the gift of salvation through your Son. Jesus, for sending the Spirit to equip us and empower us. Lord, we're at awe of your beauty. And as these garments were made for your glory and your beauty, help us to understand that you called us for the same reason, to bring you glory and beauty. And so, would you be elevated tonight? Would you be exalted, Jesus? Would you use my words to speak? Would you soften our hearts? May we have ears to hear and eyes to see. God, may this seed land on good soil. So we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we bless you. It's your name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen. I agree, I agree. I'm excited about this text and this sort of new section in the study, this long study that we've been going through of Exodus. In detail, we love going through Scripture and we're focusing, we've been focusing on the tabernacle of God. And like I said, this is Moses getting instruction from God about how to worship them. 
how to worship him. They're, he's forming a nation, forming God's people. He snatched them from darkness into light. Now they were slaves of Egyptians, uh, but now they're set free. They're in the wilderness, and God wants to be with his people and lead them and strengthen them and transform them. And so he says, build this tabernacle. Tabernacle means the dwelling place of God. It's where God wanted to meet in the midst of a group of sinners that were redeemed, that were saved by him. And Moses is getting instructions on, on the tabernacle. But in chapter 28, there's a little bit of a shift about Moses not just getting instructions for the tabernacle, but he, it's, we're introduced to those who would work in the tabernacle, who would work in the house of God, doing these sacrifices, the priest, the priest. God is now going to focus on instruction to Moses, who will serve in the tabernacle, these priests, and how they're going to do it. And I sort of been tricking you a little bit because as we're studying through the second half of, of Exodus, we're really studying a lot of Leviticus and Numbers as well. Because the reality is, is like God just just given the temple. He said, this is how I want you to worship. Here's my instructions. Here's the detail of this. And so we're not doing in-depth of Leviticus and Numbers, but a lot of these things are coming together in this, what's called the five books of the Old Testament, the Torah or the law, and this instruction to a whole nation to how to worship God. And these principles and this scripture applies to us because we are Jesus people and we want to worship God. And we want to go to scripture and we want to pull it all together and say, God, I want to dwell with you. What is an appropriate way that I could honor you, that I can bless you, that I can serve you? And there is structure. Our God is a God of order and he gives all these things really pointing us to our great high priest, not just a priesthood, but to Jesus and how we're to worship him. And so walk with me through this text real quick. Verse 1, let's go through it again and break it down together so you can see these principles of how they applied back then, but also to us. Verse 1 says, then, near, uh, then bring near to you Aaron, your brother. Remember, Moses had a brother, Aaron. He, he served as this great prophet, this other leader, the, the mouthpiece for Moses. And he said, bring this guy, this faithful man, this person that went out with you and his sons with him, from among the people of Israel, to serve as priest. There was a specific role that he was going to serve in. Aaron and the son, Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithramar. I think. That's what I'm going with, all right? You can actually do some different research if you look out uh, these names. Um, actually, in Numbers, I believe, two of his sons misappropriated the way they worship God, not Following the Levitical law, it was called strange fire and God consumed him. So it does matter as we jump in the study, the Levitical law, the way we worship and their role and what they would play and what they would do. So he's giving these names. Hey, Aaron, your sons, I want you to do this specific role. And this task was for the priest, Aaron's family, also the tribe of the, uh, the Levites. Now, numbers three and four sort of tell us the families, Korath, Gershomon, and Merimar, I think. Check it out. Numbers three. I'm just keep on giving you little, 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 little nuggets right here. A little bread. Okay. Last week was Numbers ten, Leviticus four. Just study it on your own, people. It's good stuff. All right. So Numbers three and four talks about how this priesthood is not just Aaron and his sons, but it's a specific tribe within Aaron and his sons. The royal priesthood are this people, the tribe of the, the uh, Levites. They were to serve in the tabernacle and they were to represent the people before God and represent God before the people. 
This is what's being established, and this is what we need to know before we move on in the book, because there is now a role on how they would worship. And this is the functions of priests. Now, I wrote this down. Remember, you want to bring your Bibles. You want to bring notes because the things I'm saying, I take a lot of time studying, giving it to you. And these are two functions of priests that God would actually call out these men to do. They would represent the people before God. And then they would represent God before the people. I'm going to leave this slide up and break those two things down for you because I think it's important. You see, a priest is also known as an intermediary, uh, someone who, who works as a go-between two parties. Um, another word that's probably easier to say is an intercessor or an advocate. This is the role of a priest. One commentator said, it was God's desire that the nation of Israel actually all be a kingdom of priests. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, the text tells us this. In the world, but uh, that they would reveal his glory and share his blessing with the unbelieving nations around them. But in order to magnify a holy God, Israel had to be a holy people, and that's where the, uh, Aaron's priesthood came in. And so what Aaron's priesthood or the line of the Levites would, were to do in this calling, and this is what we're talking about in Exodus 28 and 29. You're going to see the garments to represent significance of this calling and then the consecration of these priests and the anointing and empowering to do this calling. Uh, the first thing they were to do is to represent the people before God. They would represent the people before God. Okay, So they had a ministry to people. Um, they did this by many sacrifices that were required that God revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai. We looked at in, in like Exodus chapter 19 on. We have this Levitical law. And they would do these sacrifices for the people to atone for sin and to have fellowship with God and in order to worship God appropriately. These five sacrifices we've looked at, but they're actually found in Leviticus chapter 1 through 7. Put on your reading list again. Okay? But we know that there's the burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the peace offering, and the grain offering or gift offering. The priests were involved heavily in all of these offerings and they served to help represent the people to God as they administered the offerings. Now one commentary said about their, their way they represented the people to God said the clearest example of the priest functioning as a representative before the people is that of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. On this special day, the high priest represented himself, the priesthood of the Levites, and the entire nation. And we did a little bit of an in-depth study on that. We'll probably get to that again as we look at their function. But the reality is the priests were crucial for representing the people before the Lord, helping them to follow the instructed way to properly worship God. But they had a different function as well because they would serve people before God, but they would also represent God to the people. They would represent God and who he is to the people. The, the priesthood... They function as a voice of God to the people. We know this from verses like Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 10. They tell us that the tribe of Levi was to act in the teaching role to the rest of the Israelites. Uh, the priests were to help the people know God and obey his ordinances, his law, or his word, and they'd be examples of obedience to the people. 
Again, one commentator said this, one of the reasons the Levites were scattered among the tribes and received no allotment in the promised land was so that they would instruct uh, more easily with all the people of Israel in their teaching capacity. When God promised the promised land to the people and divided all the tribes into this land, he didn't give land to the Levites because he wanted those priests among the people. He wanted them to represent him uh, to the people, teaching them his word, teaching those things, and really blessing the people. You'd remember the priest would bless the people on behalf of God, Leviticus 9.22, or what we looked at last week, Numbers chapter 6, this priestly blessing. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up your countenance, man, is that God would just, he would use these guys to speak forth even as prophets, a mouthpiece as Aaron did with Moses to the people. And so the priest served in this special way as a go-between, a mediator, an advocate, helping represent the people before God and helping uh, represent God before the people. And we see this function of the priest as a special role given by God. He wanted them to know this valuable role. And so he gives them these garments to remind him of it. Now, verse two and three, it says, and you shall make holy garments. Holy is set apart. It's something different. It's unique. Holy means special. These are some special garments. They're different. They're for Aaron, your brother of Israel, and they're for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate, set them apart for my priesthood. This is God calling out this family, this position, doing his thing. God told Moses to make holy garments for these priests to wear as they would serve him and do this special role. So they had to be special, holy, different garments. He would even give them skill and fill people with his spirit to make these clothes, these, this, this outfit, this clothing. He wanted the priests to wear these holy garments as they ministered to be reminded of the beauty and the glory of this incredible role and duty that they had. Now, the NIV actually translates instead of for glory and beauty, it says for dignity and honor. Having these clothes would remind the priest how special their role was and it would remind them that the calling to serve God is dignified and honorable. It's worth it. They didn't choose it. God chose them. And it is honorable. It is dignified. You should be proud of this. This is special. And I'm going to give you something to outwardly remind you of that task that I have put upon your life. Now, this is important for us. This is important for us. God gave them this role. You have to understand this. I think sometimes when we go to our gifts and our ability, we think, oh, I, we compare, we want this and what that person has and this person has. No one else could be priest. God gave it to them. Just like the Bible says that God gave us gifts liberally, like with grace. You didn't deserve them. Ephesians 4, 7, I believe. But he gives them. Sometimes it's unwise for us to compare one another's giftings or talents or whatever it may be, our situation or our life compared to other people, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, it's just not wise because God gave them this role. God gives us a certain role. 
We're all not to be worship leaders, our speakers, our behind the scenes, our gifted in this, our gifted in that. We all have a role to play, and God gave them this role. You see, they were chosen by God for this role. It wasn't their ability or perfection, but God's sovereign gift of grace, choosing them and allowing them to serve in this way. Being a high priest was not a choice a person could make. It was God who set down the regulations of this office. And you could read that in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, about this regulation, choosing Aaron and his descendants after him. And these verses, uh, in these verses, God is choosing Aaron and his bloodline to serve in a way by his grace. And because they were chosen by God's marvelous grace, they were to respond by worship by gratitude, by thanksgiving. In fact, the phrase in these two chapters about the priest, to serve me, is mentioned five times. You may have not noticed that in verses 2 and 3, but it says, God, I want to choose them and do this with them to serve me, to serve me, to serve me. Consecrate them, consecrate them to serve me. There are this repeated phrase that God wants them to serve him and worship him by the gifts and talents that gave him, even though those ministry will be for other people as well. This is why we know that when we get our gifts and talents and ability, even to work, we can do all things for the glory of the Lord. As we worship him through our talents and abilities and serve others, it's actually worship to the Lord because we can have a posture to do it unto the Lord. Matter of fact, in all that you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, do what? Do to the glory of the Lord. So, we see these principles. It's an honor to serve God, to follow His special calling in our lives. God wanted to remind them of this. He instructs them how to do this. He says, give me skillful people to make these holy garments. Now, before we go too on in our study, I thought it would be wise to give us a foundation and just ask this question, why does this even matter? We're talking about the tabernacle and we're talking about priest. Because... I think it's important for us today to understand as Christians and followers of Jesus, the Bible gives us this analogy and tells us that we are the royal priesthood as well. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is another chapter you can study this week. It's super solid. It's super good. I just want to highlight two verses for you out of this context because the apostle Peter shares these verses with us and gives us some parallels about our redemption being snatched from darkness into light, slavery from sin, now slaves to righteousness, and, and really calls us out as God's church, as the priesthood that we would represent God to the people, that we would represent people to God. Just verse 5 and verse 9, let me read them and highlight a few things for us. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a special or as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Drop down to verse nine. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you are a follower of Jesus 
and you are born again into his family, he has not only saved you from the power of sin, but he has empowered you to conquer sin and in this world have victory and serve him. God wants us to be a holy and a royal priesthood with our faith, following him, loving him, and he calls out and he gives us purpose. You see, we have a function as well as Christians or as priests to represent people to God and to represent God to people. The same function that they're going to have and have all these rules and regulations and even garments of reminding, the same principles are true for us today because in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter says, remember all that text, all that scripture. Paul would say in Romans 15, 4, that's written actually for our encouragement that we may have hope and even know how to function as Christians. We're now a priesthood. So it, it, it should stop and make us pause. This is really important because we see these principles and how these people are this playing out. It applies to us. You see, we represent people before God, pointing them to the great sacrifice that Jesus made for the sins of the world. You remember 1 John 2, 2? It actually says, God not only died for you, but for the whole world to be the propitiation for our sins. Oftentimes we think of our salvation just for us, that we can get saved, and it's all about me, me, me. And God says, no, there is a kingdom, and I want you to fulfill a role in that. I didn't just save you so you could do nothing. I saved you for a purpose. In fact, the Bible says we're saved by grace, not because of our works, but he's actually ordained that we walk in good purpose, that we walk in his ways, that we devote ourselves to good works, and we actually can represent the kingdom of God here. And we are told it's his people to intercede or pray for people and to preach this good news so they would repent and find life. I want to remind us today as Christians, let us not forget the special role we have as intercessors, as mediators, as standing in the gap for people. You see, an intercessor in the Bible stands in the gap between God and the people. To intercede is to go between two parties and is to plead on to one on behalf of the other. And there are many people that do not know God, do not talk to God, do not pray, do not have a right relationship with him. And as Christians, it is our role, our job to actually intercede for one another and to the lost people around us that are lost in sin. And we do this through prayer in Jesus' name. This is a ministry that we have. Jesus even would teach his disciples how to pray because it's that important and something that we walk in. It's not really glamorous. A lot of people don't really talk about it as a ministry. They want to have a public ministry. But Jesus says, I want you to have a private ministry because I want that ministry for you to know me. And when you spend time in prayer, you get to know the heart of God and you speak to him he, and he speaks to you and there's intimacy and you become more like him. Just as Moses went up to the mountain and he came back down and was glowing more like God. When we spend time in prayer and ministering and doing the work that God has called us to is interceding and praying for our friends, our family, our community, even our own faith, as we just represent um, people before God and lift them up, it's powerful and it's significant. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but there's something special happening in our church that you should be able to feel the spiritual temperature of like from the worship to like how we're having ladies come down uh, and, and pray on, on uh, Friday mornings or how we just fasted in prayer. Like these things matter to the heart of God and they matter to our spiritual walk with the Lord. And they make a difference. 
Like our prayers make a difference. The Bible says that all heaven moves and hears when we pray. You can have confidence in this, 1 John 4, that when you pray, God listens. There's authority that he's given you. You can talk to God. Your sins have been forgiven if you're a Christian. You have the Spirit of God inside of you, and not everyone does. And so what a gift, what a joy that we can labor in prayer and minister to people, even our enemies that oppose us, and they have no power over Jesus' name, that we can pray people into the kingdom and that we can represent them to God. God, I want to bless my family. Lord, I'm believing that you would grow their faith, that you would establish them and give them good friends. God, that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they would be used by you. You may have a child that's rebelling. You keep on praying. You may have friends that make fun of you. You keep on praying. We represent people before God and can stand in the gap as intercessors and as prayer warriors and people. And sometimes people have a more joy towards this and not, but it is a role of the priest. And this is the role of the high priest for us. Because isn't there only one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, or in Romans 8, he's now interceding before us, before the Father in heaven. Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is the great high priest. He has that function as a role too. And, and he prayed for us even before going to the cross in John chapter 17. Lord, would you make them one as we are one? Would you help them? Peter, you're going to stumble, but I prayed for you. Jesus is a great intercessor. And when we follow him, we walk in that path of praying for others because it's a way that we display love for others, to care for them, to serve them. Through prayer, we can bless people and Christians can intercede for people as well. This is why we are told to pray for our government officials, even those that would oppose to us or who we wouldn't vote for, to pray for our enemies, to love, to serve. Well, where do I start? What do I, what do, I do? Pray. Pray. Bless intercede. But as followers of Jesus, not only do we pray, but we have the special privilege to represent God to people. God to people. So we lift them up to God, but we also have a message and can prophetically speak to bring glory to God, to represent God, his ways, his kingdom, his word to this world. Peter would put it like this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of of him who called you from darkness into light. We are to pray, but we are to preach. Our main role as Christians is to be a witness and to testify of God and his ways. And we don't just preach his words, but we show blessings of what it looks like to follow God in word and in deed. And as people see our lives and us obey God unto worship, and our holiness, and our consecration, and our giving to the Lord, they say, wow, I, I, want, I want that blessing. I, I see that life. The Apostle Paul would put it this way and give it language in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He would say that we are ambassadors. Ambassadors. We represent God's kingdom. We're God's people. And we live for him in this life. Now, Tony Murda, he said this. Let me give you a quote. Like the priest... We as the priesthood of believers are to be set apart to walk in beauty of holiness before God, not with clothing, but in the beauty of a life devoted to God. What do we have to offer? 
Well, Romans 12, 1 says now, our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. When we devote ourselves and now sacrifice our lives and earn obedience, and because the priests would not just preach, but they would practice. They would bless with their words, but also with their hands, doing the work. And we're to do the same thing. We, we preach, but we also practice. And when people see that, Jesus said they'll see salt and light and give glory to God. Our holiness, our devotion, our worship makes a difference in this representation because we are to be priests and serve unto the Lord. Just as God told the priests in the Old Testament, the priests were to minister to people, but their first obligation was to minister to the Lord and please Him. Just like the priest of old, our service is unto the Lord. It needs to be worship and ministry needs to be an overflow of our hearts. This is why we pursue God and then proclaim him. Because out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And as he purifies us, makes us holy, we have something to say and live out and give to people. And just as God sovereignly chose the Levites by his grace, he has chosen us as well to do this. Jesus said in John chapter 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The Bible says we love because he first loved us and ministry should be a love offering back to the Lord. We serve the Lord. Warren Wiersbe said this, God's people today must remember that our first obligation is to please the Lord and serve him. Preeminent, above all, first place. We have a filter of pleasing Jesus in everything we do. If we do this, he says, then he will work in us and through us to accomplish his work in this world. All ministry flows out of that relationship and is out of this love for God that we are going to be effective. It is out of these methods of prayer and preaching as the priest in this world to be able to love other people, we must say we need to love God and love other people. We need to abide in God who is love and we will become more like him, representing him and he will send us out. Now since you're already in the New Testament, turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 is an example of this where the apostle Paul, who did a lot of preaching, a lot of prayer, but he was actually sent out by God when he had this order and this mindset. It was his first missionary journey and it was sparked by ministering to the Lord or serving the Lord. It was a group of believers getting together in the city of Antioch and Paul and Barnabas were there. And in verse 2 and 3, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, consecrate, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You know, I was just thinking about when we moved to Florida, I have a little catchphrase. It was the best strategy and worst strategy you can ever imagine. It was the worst strategy because it was just my family. We didn't know any stranger. It was a parachute. And no team, no money, no job, nothing. Never even been to Delray Beach before. But God said go. So it was the best strategy. The strategy was listen to God and obey. 
That's pretty much been the strategy ever since. That's the lifestyle that God wants you to live, one of faith. One that worships Him and when He directs, you obey. Aaron had already been serving the Lord, doing things with Moses, but yet in his faithfulness, he would never imagine this was going to go happening, but God said, I, I see you. I obey to the much. I'll give much to those that are faithful little. Hey, Aaron, I'm going to call you and your family to do this. Oftentimes we overcomplicate it. Guys, it's about listening to God and obeying. Worship. We're priests. It's not even about a position. It's just like, what does he tell you to do? Are you listening to God? Are you praying? Are you reading his word? Because even that strategy causes you to depend on him to listen and to listen to his word and to pray and talk and to seek. And as these guys are doing that, God sends them out to reach the world. Gives them effective ministry. Don't ever underestimate your time worshiping Jesus. Moments like this are so special. You have no idea. This is a gift. Even coming to church, I'm so surprised as Christians, the statistics always say like, you know, Christians are now going to service only once every three weeks, only once every month. Why? Why, why would you do that? You have an opportunity to be in the presence of God and to hear from Him. And when you have that as your main source of strategy to depend on God, you should be placing yourself in situations to hear God, to be in fellowship, to be seeking God, fasting, praying. This is not a service. This is a lifestyle. And if He's placed you in this body, you should be excited to come to church. You should be wanting to have fellowship. You should get other people and believers and say, man, I don't even want to wait until Tuesday. You guys want to get dinner? You want to pray right now? Hey, let's do, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? Sure. I mean, I guess if that's God's directing you, go for it. Margarita, go for it. Sue, go for it. Do this. You go do that. Okay, great. Mike, you do this. You... It's, it's God. He has to move. Not man's manipulation of a program, but the Spirit of God needs to speak to you and call you out and show you and encourage you and empower you. And He does do that to all of His priesthood. Mission doesn't compete with coming to church, it actually complements. Being really passionate and worshiping Jesus will fuel the flame for missions and going out to proclaiming Jesus. For then, our main role is to obey God, hear from Him, love Him, and love the world. You see, it was an honor and joy to serve God in this way, and He wants us to be reminded of this as well, like the priest. It's an honor to serve God like this. That we've been called for God's glory and God's beauty. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Our four, chapter 4 verse 1 says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Does your life represent people to God? And does it represent God to people? We need to be reminded that this is a great responsibility. It is a great privilege and calling from God because we are commanded to make disciples. So you need to have a strategy. The obligation, the responsibility, God has called you to do some things. And if you don't know what those are, as you get revealed from the Scripture, He's given you a lot. So just as God would tell Moses to make Aaron garments to consecrate him, and remind him of the special calling, God tells us to put on clothes of righteousness to minister to people. Colossians 
chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen one, chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, just as the priest were to put on these holy clothes that pointed to God and represent God's glory and beauty, we too put on Christ and the full armor of God as Christians to do his work and do the things he's called us to. We put off the things of the flesh and put on the things of the spirit because it helps us minister effectively and it brings beauty and glory to God as well. When you walk in humility, when you bear with one another, when you pour out love. And so God gave them these clothes to remind him of this truth. Let's finish with verse 4 through 5. These are the garments that shall be made. A breastplate, an ephrod, a robe, a coat, a checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priest. They shall receive gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine linen. Now we're going to look in detail next week about these holy garments and these certain pieces, the turban or sash, coat, robe, and how they actually helped the priest serve and what they represent as the priesthood. But as we close tonight, I just want to bring this home and remember that we were saved by God's grace. And I wrote this down when thinking about doing and task and our calling to ministry and priesthood. Our identity is not based on what we do, but more importantly, whose we are. Our identity is not based on what we do, but more importantly, whose we are. Remember that just as God clothed, uh, chose these Levites, he's chosen us by his grace, not our works. He loves us. You ever think about they got this calling because he, lo- he loved them? Everything that God does is for our good because he is a God of love. He is love. So it's not just he does loving things. He is the essence of love. And he calls us to do these things of dependence and serving him not because we are so great but because he is so great our identity should be more on how he loves us and not what we can do for him because it does not matter what we do for him he will always love us his love is something unique it's unconditional it's not what we do for him it's how he did something for us and now we are responding into worship you see the high priest also made sacrifices of bulls and goats. You remember that when we were talking about atoning for sin? The priest still had to make sacrifices. They were imperfect. It wasn't like Aaron is just a leader and he's so faithful and incredible. We're about to see Aaron blow it big time. Making a calf, uh, making this, this huge uh, idol and leading the people to worship. I mean, he is not perfect and God knew that 
and still chose him, still loved him, still called him. I'm so grateful that we can blow it and we're sinners and God still loves us. He still chooses us. He still forgives. He still wants to use us. He placed the blood of the sacrifice on the altar, the priest would, to atone and pay for his own sin, to receive the Lord's forgiveness. He was one of them, but he had a special role. Just because the priest had a special role or calling by God, it didn't excuse him from the needing of a sacrifice of blood and be forgiven. And just because we are a holy and royal priesthood, it does not excuse us from needing Jesus and the great sacrifice of him shedding his blood and atoning our sin. He doesn't say, well, you're a priesthood, and so now I'm going to do this. No, he loves us, and so now we can do this. Jesus would implement communion to his disciples right before he would go to the cross. And he wanted them always to remember his love and grace, that he had chosen them and that they had responded by following him at this point. But this was to remind them and us that we are saved by God's grace, by the cross of Christ and his blood, and not by our serving or works. Jesus is implementing communion and telling them to remind them of God's grace, but they had already sacrificed. They already left some boats. They'd already served God and followed God. And God's saying, I know, but you're not perfect and you never will be. You need my blood. You need sanctification. You need me. So Jesus said to them, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is our great high priest. He does that work in our lives. He is interceding for us and his spirit is pointing us to God and his kingdom. He's the one that we need to go to and we get our identity from, not what we do for him. Because even if we didn't do anything for him, he still loves us. This is why Paul says, well, not many of you are really strong. Many of you are weak, not noble, um, mess-ups. But yet, God chose us to confound the wise. It's like when he said, I love all of you to use you and affect the world right now. (laughs) Well, if God can use us, guys, there is a God, right? I mean, this is like the grandmaster God who says, I'm going to choose imperfect people and love them, not because they have something to offer, because I love them. And I could redeem them so much, empower them, that when they do serve me, people will have to give glory to me. Because they're just like everyone else, broken. But yet when we come together as a church, we're reminded we're just sinners saved by grace. And we can praise and worship God. So he's the one that we're to praise. He's the one who we'll worship and to follow. And it is only by his work that we enter into the right relationship with God. So let's thank him. Let's partake in grace. And let's invite others to know this God. Let's pray for our friends and our family and let's preach to them. Let's be good ambassadors, sons and daughters, living for Jesus and doing it unto him for his glory and his beauty. Let's pray and take communion together. Jesus, we thank you so much for the ministry of reconciliation that we can come and we can worship 
because we've been redeemed. Lord, I pray for those that maybe even in this room or watching online that don't know that they can have their sins forgiven. I, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would awaken souls, that they would know that they could find fellowship in you, not because of their good works, but because of what you've done. And we come as a group right now thinking about the sacrifice of you shedding your blood. We want to say thank you, Jesus. You atoned for sin. You died and three days later, you rose again. Something we could never do. We have to go to you, God, for salvation. For there is no other name by which men can be saved but you, Jesus. And so would you represent us for the Father with your blood and your work so you can declare us righteous? We need you, God. We need you to speak. I pray that you would call out ministries in this church. You would raise up ministries. You would anoint. You would empower. You would speak to your people. And as we just take a time to sing a song, to practice communion and, and identify ourselves with your work on the cross and how you're coming again and alive, may you, Holy Spirit, do some incredible heart work as we close our service. We bless you, Jesus. And we come to you once again with grateful hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.